Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. And welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 188 of Linux in the Hamshack, an episode we are going to preliminarily call the Scratchy Throat episode. And I am your host, Russ, K5TUX. And we also have from getting warmer still, Big Sky Country, uh, Montana, Bill, NE4RD. Good evening, everyone. And we also have across from me, Cheryl. Hello, everyone. Who still, still says she's getting her uh, ticket at Hamvention. Or or thereabouts. Maybe we had this discussion the other day. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll make it happen. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> All so. right. I guess we'll start off with our amateur radio topics for the evening. And the first one we have is FCC personal radio service revisions will affect GMRS, FRS, and Citizens Band. The FCC has conducted a thorough review of the PRS rules in order to modernize them, remove outdated requirements, and reorganize them to make it easier to find information. The rules will increase the number of communications channels for both GMRS and FRS, expand digital capabilities to GMRS, and increase the power slash range for certain FRS channels to meet consumer demand for longer range communications, while maintaining higher power capabilities for licensed GMRS. The amended rules will eliminate combination radios, but will allow up to 2 watts PEP output for FRS transceivers. Changes to the decades-old citizens' band Rules will remove outdated requirements, including certain labeling requirements. DXing on Citizens Band will also become legal. CBers will be allowed to contact stations outside of the FCC-imposed and widely disregarded 155.3-mile distance limit. The revised CB rules further clarify how hands-free devices can be used with CB radios and will allow the use of wireless microphones with CB radios. The rule changes will phase out voice scrambling features in all Part 95 devices and will prohibit manufacturer importation or sale of any devices incorporating such features. And this actually came from QRZ Now. I think they actually got it from the ARRL, but that's okay. Yeah, so that's interesting. I didn't even know there was a CB distance limit. <laughs> I didn't either. I mean, I remember, uh, you know. I know there's a wattage limit. My elder talking about it, you know, <laughs> you know, doing DXing on CB back in the 60s when it was, you know, you have to have a license and everything else. Yep. And it was quite common. Back. So that's interesting. And I actually had a GMRS license for a little while, but the $100 price tag seemed pointless to re-up. So because you get Unless a whole. You get in when there's the free one. <laughs> oh, they have free ones? Well, no, they've changed the, they changed it. So like there was a period of time for like about, I don't know, 48 hours that the FCC wasn't charging for them. (laughs) (laughs) So you could pick one up for nothing, (laughs) which, uh, I might have gotten one. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, after that, I think they went back up to 60. Well, that's okay. So if you use those little handheld, you know, GMRS or FRS radios, some rules are being changed. No biggie. And of course, CB is not actually going to change at all. It's just going to, the rules are going to be changed to reflect the way that people already use it. So <laughs> pretty much that's that on a not really amateur radio topic, but it is about radio. And I actually saw an article today when I was perusing Google News and there was a pilot on there who was advocating bans of using handheld radios in cars. It's like, you're a jerk <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, anything with a microphone, basically. 
Well, I mean, we've been talking about that over the past few shows of various states imposing restrictions on you know, right. wireless and portable devices in the vehicle. And uh, I think they're still working on that over in California. They're working on it all over the place, but a lot of the states have exemption for uh, radio use. I think it's it's partially because of law enforcement and stuff like that, and they just keep the uh, exemption fairly wide. But if you've ever seen police drive, they're like lunatics because they've got their radios <laughs> going and the laptop. laptop. <laughs> <laughs> they they just cannot drive with all that crap going on in their car. But <laughs> liking stuff on Facebook all day, right? Yeah, well, exactly. I've, a friend that I went to high school with is a highway patrolman, and he uh, had a wreck about two years ago texting his wife and he was off on administrative leave for a while while they yelled at him about that for a while yeah. so well stop I mean, text stop rex right? Right, right yeah all right moving on we have another story out of taiwan they are dropping the morse code requirement for hams uh, the national communications commission ncc in taiwan is to abolish the amateur radio morse code requirement and permit 432 to 440 megahertz operation the commission has already approved the amendments. However, it is obligated to make the amended regulations available for public view for two months and then make any changes deemed necessary before they can take effect. The amendments also extend the validity of amateur radio operating licenses from five years to ten years, but amateur radio operators must pass tests to achieve the extension. In addition, the amendments stipulate that amateur radio operators would be able to start renewing their licenses five months before their license expire. NCC data shows that 42,900 licenses for qualified amateur radio operators were issued between 2012 and 2016. I wonder how many of them are yeah. like actually like American workers abroad or expats. or. It's probably a good number of them, considering you know, most of the Department of Defense uh, businesses are in Taiwan. Yeah, but still, there's 42,000-plus just in the last four or five years you can, uh, you can talk with. I guess uh, BX8AAD, he's in Taiwan. So, uh, and he's one of our listeners. So, this oh, might, okay. pretty sure he's Taiwan, right? Yeah, I'm pretty don't, sure it was don't Taiwan. Don't look at me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to look at it anyway. I think he was in Taiwan, but. We'll make an assumption there. Yeah. Right. I don't, I, you know, for like, uh, you know, being on Whisper and JT65 often, I don't, I don't see Taiwan pop up on the map too often. Maybe they're just so, not into yeah. Whisper. Could be. They might just be used to talking out loud. <laughs> instantrimshot.com we actually talked about this on uh an old episode i think yeah yeah there you go <laughs> so <laughs> slid that in yeah well the fcc is at it again so bill you yep. can uh talk about that yeah sure the uh fcc wireless auction uh auctions concluded back here in uh march just uh was that uh, about two months ago now this is more of a general user to wireless systems news article but I thought it was relevant since, uh, you know, hams like us use uh, may use wireless microphones from time to time and uh, and may have bought some commercial gear off the shelf. But common wireless microphone systems that operate in the range of 616 to 653 megahertz and 663 to 698 megahertz must be replaced or removed from service over the next 39 months. The FCC sold the Spectrum in March and is no longer available for use by these devices. If you have an affected device, there might be an opportunity to get a rebate on a trade-in, so check with your manufacturer or dealer. And how this is relevant to us is that, you know, bands are easy come, easy go. Spectrum usage and defense are, are important for 
us as amateur radio operators. So we need to make sure we're using the bands. We're using them effectively and responsibly. And uh, we do everything we can to prevent losing them to uh, you know, third-party services or whomever the FCC decides to sell them to. And this article was actually a blog post from uh, Sweetwater, um, a music company. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually kind of cool because I buy most of my gear from Sweetwater. It's definitely something to think about for Spectrum Defense. All right. Well, the uh, headphone distribution amp and the cables and the headphones and the mics and everything that we're going to be using at Hamvention all Come came from, from there. Water, so. yeah. There you go. All and right. we're not sponsored by them, but they could sponsor us. No. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. If, if someone wants to mention that to them, we're uh, certainly open to <laughs> some you know, cross-pollinization, I guess. <laughs> and actually, I do have a wireless system wireless mic system i'll need to see if it uh, actually uses one of those frequencies i don't know that it does but i guess i'm gonna have to go and check now yeah it's pretty common for like the uh the in-ear monitors and stuff like that those seem to be the ones that they were pointing out in the article okay well i don't have an in-ear or or anything like that i have an actual like a regular dynamic microphone wireless system but uh obviously you have to go check anyway all right this next one's kind of interesting i i like legalese type stories so we're moving away from amateur radio and into the open source world and into tech trolling which is uh evil evil uh <laughs> so tell us about evil yeah tech troll sues the uh electronic frontier foundation to silence the stupid patent of the month blog now the eff sues them back the electronic frontier foundation is countersuing a patent troll that wants to name wants its name removed from a, stu- a stupid patent of the month blog post. Uh, Global Equity Management, S-A, P-T-Y Limited, otherwise known as G-E-M-S-A, GEMSA, is incorporated in Australia and exists only to bring patent litigation, making it a classic patent troll, the EFF claims. The EFF was not impressed. The patent itself that was in question was uh, made in 1999, and it was uh, a display of File cabinets for files. <laughs> you, you can take a look at it. It's linked in the in the show notes uh, from the register article. But uh, basically, uh, they're uh, they're fighting this uh, for the the free speech part of the of them calling it a stupid patent. So basically, the the Gemsa is suing them for calling it stupid, and the EFF is suing them for interfering in our First Amendment free speech rights on calling it stupid. So <laughs> it's wow. kind of one of those those weird things. And Jemsa needs to just shut up and go away because, I mean, they're suing a company in California through a judge in Texas, which, of course, we all know why that happens, because all the patent trolls go to Texas. I honestly think the, the free speech part of this has way more merit. I mean, clearly. OK, yeah, boring. Moving on. <laughs> all right. So let's compare the terms open source and free software. We, we touched on this a long, long time ago, probably in episode like 40 something and discussed the difference between open source and free software, and I think it was probably Richard Stallman or someone along those lines who was complaining about them not being interchangeable, though everyone sort of uses them interchangeably. So uh, what, what does that have to say? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, this was, a, this was an interesting pair of articles. I, uh, I actually caught the second one um on uh hacker news or hack news yeah hacker news and uh so i went back and i read the first one and it was it was kind of interesting so the the first article is points out that uh, open source is a better term than free software 
and uh, cut a bunch of stuff out. But whilst technically they mean the same thing, people who use these terms have different attitudes. Users of the term open source are people who enjoy programming collaborator- uh, collaboratively. Uh, users of the term free software, no, software do too, but also consider proprietary software to be a violation of a user's rights and bad for society as it gives mega corporations power over us. Um, open source is a descriptive technical term and the virtues of open source are implied by its name. Someone hearing the term for the first time can already imagine that someone might want to study and modify the code. So that was kind of the argument there. And, uh, you know, that makes exact sense for what Stallman and everybody else said. The second article spins it around the other way and says that, you know, free software is, is better used over the, than open source. And uh, he st- the author states that he changed his mind completely and explains why he said everything was actually wrong. And uh, the, the one takeaway that I, that I brought out from that was, uh, comment he says because a uh, greater than ninety nine percent of computer users are non programmers don't really understand the open source side because of the of the coding side right because they're just users they want free software right. they understand free software and what free software is you know it's free as in beer whatever so I think it's just it's possibly the audience changes the real meaning of the term as it does in almost every case it's always the point of view either way you can use either one. <laughs> <laughs> it's whatever you feel um, the use is. Anyway, it's just an interesting kind of point counterpoint on himself about uh, about the differences between the two. Well, I think there's something to be said for the term free and open source, you know, often abbreviated FOSS or whatever, because that actually puts the two ideas together and is less ambiguous. Because I think open source just describes how the software is propagated and doesn't imply any freedom or it doesn't it doesn't describe anything about the software other than its method of creation and free software is kind of a stupid term as well i don't know who decided to pick the term free since in english it has two meanings and the one that they really mean is the one that people sort of don't immediately associate with it so there's probably a better term for all of this, but um, yeah, I like FOSS. I mean that that really explains it gives it at all, right? Yeah, because you can this is, you can bat yeah, this around all over the place because some open source software is free and some free software is not open source. You know what I'm saying? Because some open source software is not free. Like just look at Red Hat. It's a rabbit hole. We don't need to go down. You get the <laughs> idea. Links to information about that will be in the show notes as soon as I get the Etherpad fixed again. <laughs> getting closer, getting closer. I've actually recovered all the old data. Now I just have to figure out how to get to it. If anyone has ever bothered to look at the database structure of a collaborative online editor, it's a nightmare. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. So we have a couple, uh, well, several actually, flash topics in our in our uh, open source area for the evening. So uh, what's insomnia other than something I suffer from frequently? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, the, the, the title caught me. And again, I think this was on Hacker News. This was linked to insomnia is an application built with late night developers in mind. Um, insomnia will remind you to take a rest and that you can always come back to work tomorrow. It's inspired by uh, Sleepy Times, you know, sleepytie.me, one of those fantasy domains, a website that calculates optimal times to fall asleep based upon when you want to wake up. The idea is that when you wake up in the middle of a sleep cycle, you, f- you will feel groggy. However, if you wake up during the transition between sleep cycles, you will feel refreshed. 
This application uses, uses averages that sleep cycles are 90 minutes each, and a person takes 15 minutes to fall asleep from when they begin to try and calculates the times for you to sleep. It will notify you through the night when optimal times to shut down your computer and start to head to sleep and provide a button just to do that. This project is available on GitHub. It is open source, and it's already pre-compiled for just about every OS, and I believe it runs in the task manager or task bar or applet or whatever you would like. Uh, based on your operating system. I, I uh, find it amusing that it's an application that creates an alarm to tell you to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, wake you up and go to sleep. Wake you up and go to sleep. <laughs> Moving on, if you, if you need that kind of help, if you're a late-night developer, I actually Ubered a late-night developer. That was one of the people I picked up at 4.30 in the morning from the e-factory and took home. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and you nice. were up at 4.30, so there you go. Yeah, but I was doing Uber. Of course, Ubering. that justifies everything. Doing so, commerce. I was making money. So we also have Android in a box. You know, I've only tried one Android system that wasn't like a phone or a tablet or something like that. I used, um, what's it called, Andy, Andy OS, which uh, allows you to Mm. run Android in a virtual environment, I guess. It doesn't look like a virtual environment. It looks more like an application. uh, It works reasonably well, but I have not seen this Android in a box. So what is it? So Andbox puts the Android operating system into a container abstracts hardware access and integrates the core system services into a GNU Linux system. Every Android application will be integrated with your operating system like any other native application. To achieve this goal, the standard Linux technologies like containers, uh, LXC, are used to separate the Android operating system from the host. Any Android version is suitable for this approach and attempts are made to keep up with the latest available version of the Android open source project. So this comes in a snap package. (laughs) Oh no, snaps. I couldn't get it to work. <laughs> That's why I turned it into a flash topic. I'm going to circle back around on this and, and see if I can actually get it to come in. For some reason, it just blows up as soon as it tries to uh, add the kernel modules. But I, I installed the kernel modules by hand. They work fine. So I'm not sure why it's whiny. So well, um, anyways, get an Ubuntu system together and try doing this with the snap and see what happens. It sounds interesting if we get it to work, though, because there's a couple of applications I would love to be able to launch on a bigger screen than a tablet in an android environment yeah yeah there's like you know a whole bunch of cool little apps that <laughs> i have on the desktop but, but no didn't work for me <laughs> all right well, oh, we'll snap oh snap we'll, we'll <laughs> give it we'll both give it a try and maybe come back to it in the next episode although it may maybe the episode after that because the next one is hamvention so That's yeah it's, it's that close people hamvention is really that close Anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. We also have one more Flash topic in the open source world, and that's the 4.11 Linux kernel has been released. And with this release, Linux is now better at hot-swapping solid-state disks and can now do journaling on RAID 4, 5, and 6 volumes. There's also support for the Opal self-encrypting disk drive standard. The kernel has also gained support for the Shared Memory Communications over RDMA, SMC-R, spec, and IBM invention that allows virtual machines to share memory and therefore speeds up communications between the machines, helps with load balancing, and doesn't hurt when clustering Linux boxing. I always enjoyed that uh, plural of box, and it's kind of neat to see it actually in an article. Enterprise users and gamers will both be happy that the kernel adds improved support for Intel's Turbo Boost Max Technology 3.0, technology that lets a CPU figure out which of its cores is fastest and then increase its clock speed in response to critical workload needs. The release of version 4.11 means that the merge window is open for the next version of the Linux kernel. As ever, would-be contributors have a little over a week to offer their ideas and code before Linux sets the next version of Linux down the assembly line. Linux is now faster. 
Faster, faster. Faster, faster. Bigger, better, faster, more. <clears throat> Which, by the way, is a great album. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can now you guess that segue for like the music set <laughs> yeah except we can't play that music because it's not creative commons so are we gonna play that one song to- we are gonna play that one song it's not gonna make it to the release version so only people who are in the chat room right now it's not gonna make it the release version because of language because it? of the language yeah, yeah yes okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for our open source topics now we're going to move on to linux in the ham shack and we're talking about a uh, tool for figuring out how to make a random wire antenna yeah so uh this is part of my normal dumpster dive into github it started <laughs> with this project <laughs> you're gonna get uh, sued by a patent troll for calling github a dumpster dive or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sorry it's not really a dumpster i love github it's like my favorite <laughs> even though treasure it's trove even it's though it's really like a tire fire it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> a tire fire. yeah you can find you know 90 percent of all coders uh work in commercial packages uh, <laughs> showing up from the code snippets in here uh anyway yeah, so the Amateur Radio Random Weight or the Wire Length Tool. This is a direct port of the code found here. Uh, link, link, link. But with, uh, with it being written in C and MATLAB, the author found it was quite restrictive to use, and I can see why. So uh, this, uh, this gentleman here uh, decided to port it to JavaScript. Yay. Why, okay, why pick JavaScript? I mean, come on. I know. <laughs> I, know. I, was saying, I was thinking the same thing. Oh, darn, it's Node.js. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so uh, that it's much easier to run, in his opinion. <clears throat> Feel free to comment, tweak away with your heart's content, prerequisites, Node.js, and GNU plot. So if you can get Node.js working, hello, it'll, it'll probably do what you want. So this is uh, linked here in GitHub. A few other projects that I found in GitHub while I was searching for uh, recent changes. Uh, AB4UG, that's uh, I'm a bug on uh, IRC, which he's not in the channel. He's working on a PHP web ham radio logging application. So uh, check his uh, check his GitHub uh, repo. Uh, Kevin Hook is working on a packet to Twitter bridge using uh, JavaScript and MongoDB. Um, that's also there in GitHub. And M.M. Torney, sorry, I didn't look up these people's real names, uh, is working <laughs> on a ham radio implementation of LTE, which consists of simplified LTE specifications suitable for amateur radio use, adaptations of LTE to ham bands called ham LTE and narrow bandwidths, software radio implementation of ham LTE, and documentation on how to set up a working ham LTE base station. Uh, source and everything else and links are in the GitHub uh, repo, and uh, that looks like a pretty interesting, uh, a pretty interesting project. So I'm going to have to look at that one a little bit further. I think uh, the main site is actually in, in Finnish or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> got to do a little Google Translate on the uh, the wiki uh, wiki page that they, they have set up for uh, the Ham LTE project, and uh, and and take a look at that. But oh. uh, yep, that was my trip through uh, GitHub. That's actually some pretty interesting stuff. I probably need to hit up uh, Kevin Hook there and talk to him about MongoDB because that's one thing that has been on my radar of things to learn about and haven't had a chance to. Of course, I would, you know, if I had an actual use case for it, I would have learned it a long time ago. But uh, <laughs> I see lots of people using it, so I'd, I'd like to get some info anyway. Yeah, I, I did all those uh, MongoDB University classes that uh, they offered. You know, like little free, I don't know, like six or seven week programs, and yeah, go through and do uh, exercises and turn in your homework at the end of the week and got my little certificates and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting platform and uh, definitely has a lot of potential. Don KC9ZMY in the chat room says he's fighting with Node.js right now. And actually I was fighting with Node.js earlier today. I had my Python 
set to Python 3 instead of 2.7. And apparently some part of the installation procedure for Node uses Python. I'm not sure why that is, because Node is JavaScript, but the installation procedure, like, blew up, and there were packages that were, like, in, you know, incorrect states and everything, so I finally got rid of all of that, and then I changed my Python version to 2.7 and did an app install Node, and, or it's actually Node.js, N-O-D-E-J-S, and NPM, and it installed and worked beautifully. The only thing is, it doesn't actually alias Node.js to Node. I had to do that manually. But when I did that, uh, it all it all worked perfectly. The the just you know the node that came out of the Jesse repository worked fantastic. It's version four, you know one point four or four or whatever it is versus uh, six or seven or whatever the you know the current one is. So I guess if you're trying to install Node from their package repositories, make sure you check on your Python version because apparently it matters. So moving on, Ubuntu has released a new version. What is it? Is something uh, Zesty Zapus? Zapus. Well, I think technically, based on the rules of English, it should be Zapus. But uh, who knows? It's a a Zesty Zapus anyway. It's very zesty. uh, (laughs) You said that a little too uh, enticingly. Yeah, yeah. Especially when it's budgie. (laughs) So uh, this is uh, the new version of Ubuntu is just released 17.04. And it, uh, I thought it was LTS because it was 04. I was so programmed to think in an 04 release, an April release is an LTS. And of course, it's not. Um, our next LTS release will be 1804. Um, but anyway, this is available in all the usual flavors. Plus, this is the first official release of the uh, Budgie edition, um, which I was interested in because we, uh, we had talked about it previously, but it was kind of breaking and it was basically built on the 1610 build and uh, was not very, uh, not very friendly. Um, so I, I decided to go ahead and take the dive in, and I was getting a little bit tired of, uh, of my Arch system. I, I was running Manjaro Budgie before, and so I just swooped up the home directory and rebuilt it, and uh, I've been running it for a little bit more than a week, and it's great. Yeah, I added some PPAs in there, the usual ham radio ones that I always talk about. Um, there's not, on the WSJTX next one, that I add, there is not currently a build for Zesty in there, but uh, it only complains a little bit when you do the uh, <laughs> when you do the apt update. Um, so don't worry about that. WSJTX still installs fine. It uh, just does not like that being you know, attached to that PPA uh, during that time. Um, I also did the uh, CQR log uh, PPA, and of course that ran without any problems. That whole install CQR log and the database doesn't work doesn't exist when you run it out of the PPA. So definitely go that route. I added the PPA for the Budgie um, backports itself. So like if the Budgie team releases a fix and they build a package, you know, I want it pretty much when it's ready to go. Because apparently there was some minor bug um, that that's in 1704 for Budgie. I didn't experience it, nor did I research what it was. I just said, well, I'm going to add the PPA and <laughs> make sure I don't have to worry about that. So right now I have that running as well. And uh, I, I added the, uh, the PPA for the backports in the show notes and uh, gave this an LHS readiness score of 4.8. It's, uh, it's running great and looks beautiful. Running great and looks beautiful. Those are definitely the key. All about that eye candy. Yeah, and I did, you know, the whole ham radio meta packages, installed a lot of everything. And, um, yeah, so I got just about everything that I could find <laughs> is installed and works. So yeah, that's, that's a great part about the system. And I'm always amazed at 
at how much better Ubuntu is polished wise for desktop use than anything else. And I, I say this because I, you know, I was, I was trying to do some scanning and I have, you know, several printers around here that do scanning. And uh, I had problems on my other machine getting simple scan and stuff like that to acknowledge that I plugged in a scannable printer to it. But when I plugged it into this machine, it instantly detected it, added it, you know, almost like, you know, Windows. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> without the whole having to, you know, blow your mind, connect to the Internet, go, you know, Windows update service and try to find a driver. I mean, this instantly added uh, an Epson random printer that I have on the floor that doesn't print but has an awesome scanner on it. <laughs> and my other old Canon MP495 in the other room, I plugged it in, boom, it, it detected, added it instantly. And when I connected to some uh, Wi-Fi over this past week when I was up in the uh, Flathead Lake area at a hotel, um, I snagged some Wi-Fi and it picked up a wireless printer in the office and it added that. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty polished system to kind of just go ahead and do all this stuff for you automatically. It makes it a lot easier and, and more pleasurable experience using it as a desktop. Kudos to the Ubuntu team for you know, the polish on this stuff. Absolutely. We're going to move on. I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit because we've got an, a, an article, not an article, but we've got a story that references some feedback. So I'm going to jump down to the feedback real quick. And this is from Nate, who is not currently a ham radio operator but says he plans to be one someday he sent an email saying greetings i'm not a ham at this time though i do have interest in getting involved once i shed some weight selling off rentals okay so it's slumlord <laughs> so i've been very interested in your podcast and listening for a while in hopes of educating myself before i take the test more on that another time. When I was listening to your show, you reviewed Gecko Linux. Uh, yes, we did. And OpenSUSE derivative distribution. You mentioned that you had an, to make an unwanted effort in adding the ham radio repositories. Uh, I'm an OpenSUSE member, and I do what I can to assist with the documentation on the wiki and assisting whomever I can with their OpenSUSE Linux journey and some other specific Linux assistances not relevant to this conversation. Probably shouldn't read the asides, but oh well. What I would like to do is enhance the OpenSUSE slash Gecko Linux experience for you and whomever else wants to use the distros. I would like to improve that rating you gave to as close to 5 as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I gave it a 4.0. So. Oh, that's... Yeah. Tru <laughs> Truthfully, my knowledge of ham radio and what programs exist is just so limited. I don't even know what to check, so I would need your assistance in reviewing the information. I will begin setting up an OpenSUSE page for getting started with ham radio applications and such. Your feedback and patience with me will be greatly appreciated. I will gladly take any input from anyone to make the information as clear, approachable, and as easy to on-ramp as possible for a new OpenSUSE or even Linux user. Thank you for your time, Nathan Wolf. And I've got a link here to the wiki that he set up, and that's uh, what Bill was talking to him in the chat room earlier today about a portal that he set up, and he's got a, a bare-bones page up there with links to a one-click install for the PPA for OpenSUSE ham radio repos. And there's a bunch of information there, so he would like some contribution from you know us here at the show and anybody who's listening uh, who's familiar with OpenSUSE and using it for ham radio. Uh, or Gecko Linux, which is based on OpenSUSE, including, you know, up to and including uh, actually contributing or proofreading or whatever. And like I said, a link to the wiki page is going to be in the show notes. Was there something else that I missed on this, or I, I pretty much cover it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. He also has a link to our show on there, so kudos to him for doing that. And yeah, so, you know, 
He just wants to make the experience of trying to find those kinds of applications easier. So, uh, yeah, so it's, so people that are using OpenSUSE, you know, Tumbleweed, Leap, or uh, Gecko Linux can uh, can easily get the software that you know, what we we both described as a little bit of a process trying to find it, and nothing that you know, a few Google Google searches or whatever you know DuckDuckGo searches will uh, will solve for you. But yeah, it's really great, and the portal uh, you know definitely brings all that information together in a quick, easy spot to find everything. And there's a uh, you know, there's a lot of packages out there that that are all built for it, and uh, you can kind of browse through the repository that is linked through the wiki, um, so you can see uh, which which packages have been updated and how long ago they were updated. And there were quite a few that uh, were in the list that are recently updated, and I think they had like 111 uh, ham radio packages in there. So definitely not a small library. I mean that's a small subset of the ham radio applications that are available out there, but oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean definitely even good start. even the meta packages from Debian aren't all inclusive either. So right, but it gets you started, and this is a great place to get started. All right, that's a great project that Nathan has there, and if you want to contribute, you can uh, let us know, or you can just go to the wiki page, and there's information there on how you can contribute. Of course, it's a wiki, so it's and designed he's a cubicle for Nate when he comes into the chat room, and he's also at cubicle Nate on Twitter. On Twitter, yep. And wikis, of course, are designed for user-contributed content, so go check it out. And speaking of software that's not available in the in the repositories, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Linpack, L-I-N-P-A-C, which is a packet client for Linux. And I picked this one because I wanted to talk about some more applications that are ham radio, you know, centric for Linux because we don't talk about that as often as we probably should. At the Green Country Ham Fest. There were several people who came by and said that they still use Packet. Now, Packet's something I haven't done in some time, but apparently it's still alive in places where, you know, there are still Packet nodes and uh, uh, mailboxes or mailbox servers or whatever the hell they call them. They're still out there. And uh, Linpack is an NCurses based one. Apparently there is a GUI being developed for it, but it has not materialized yet. The last update to this was in, I believe, mid to late 2015. So it's actually, you know, been developed fairly recently. It's an NCurses packet radio terminal for use with Linux's native AX25 stack that mimics many of the feature packed host mode programs that used to exist for DOS, uh, but with any TNC running in KISS mode. And we all know what KISS mode means. It allows wide configuration and easy addition of new functions and special functions needed by the user. It's intended for keyboard-to-keyboard use, but also supports receiving basic PBBS messages, local converse link chat rooms, basic node commands like mherd, and making outgoing connections. The aim is to minimize the amount of hard-coded functions and create a complete set of applications that can be easily expanded and or completely reconfigured via a simple macro language. They also mentioned the GUI version, which is being developed, which provides either a Java Swing GUI or can be used with the familiar NCurses environment. Uh, I've got a link to the SourceForge place where you can download it. I have not given it a try as far as building it. Uh, I assume you basically just need the Curses library and Ham library and the AX25 stack, uh, then you should be able to build it. And there's also a documentation page uh, that I found for another distribution. Let's see, what uh, Trinity. There's a documentation for Trinity OS. Uh, but it looked pretty uh, comprehensive. And the page that I linked to actually has uh, all kinds of information about different ham radio packages. Linpack just happens to be one of them. My recollection of using Packet was to 
you know, basically send email via ham radio uh, or do some, I guess, basic simplex operation. Uh, am I forgetting something about packet? I'm sure I probably am. No, that's pretty much it. Okay. You got digipeters that will repeat your messages and stuff like that. The ISS has a digipeter on it. Um, yeah, it's, it's made for sending like email, you know, or station to station mail. Okay. Yeah, good. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like omitting something, yeah. but apparently in some parts of the country and probably in various places around the world, packet is still, uh, in some kind of use, uh, around here, it's dead as a door now. You can't, uh, <laughs> there is no yeah. one to connect most, to. Most people went to APRS that yeah. did packet. And so like most of your, your traffic is all APRS based traffic. And, uh, actually in the Linpack is in the repo and it is at current version 0.24. So is it called can... Linpack? Because on Jesse, yep. I did not, I was not able to install it. Oh, well, I just, I just installed it while we were talking. So are you there's using... definitely a build in the Ubuntu one. Okay, it might be an Ubuntu. Is that based on... Well, but you have the latest Ubuntu, right? So that's probably based on Squeeze. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sure it's in the later version, but it's not in the current... Or it's not in the current stable. So anyway, if you need some packet, do that. And of course, it's NCURSE's based, so it doesn't require a GUI. It can be used in lightweight operation. And it's actually a pretty nice interface. It looks uh, standard NCURSE. is very colorful. Uh, lots of greens and blues and whites. Um, which seems to be the de facto standard for ham radio applications using NCURSES, but uh, what are you going to do? It's no worse than some of the color schemes I was playing around with for YFK test, because, man, those are awful. Um, <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do for the music is we're going to play a song that only the people who are listening right now and us here uh, at the show are going to be able to hear, because there are too many things to badger out of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but 90% of the song would be badger. Yeah, so. pretty much. Well, it's not quite that bad. but um, And the reason we're going to play it is because, well, there's a couple of reasons. The first is we just saw Jonathan Colton play over the weekend, and we've sort of had a thing with Jonathan Colton lately. Uh, we played one of his songs on the last episode, and we're going to play one uh, on this episode. And it just so happens that this song is called First of May. And as it happens while we're recording this episode, it, it is, is the, the first, first of, of May. May. So, uh, it seems incredibly appropriate. Uh, this came out of one of his very, very early albums, uh, back in 2003, uh, off Smoking Monkey. And, uh, as we've said, it's called First of May. So, for the very few people who are actually going to get to hear it, here you go. Happy First of May, everybody. So, moving on from the music that no one got to hear, we'll, uh, go to our announcements and feedback. And we do have, uh, quite a bit of feedback, actually. So I'm going to skip the first bit of feedback I put till a little bit later, and we'll go to the second one, which is an email from Steve, KD0IJP. And he says, guys, this was posted just today on RTL-SDR.com. Thought you might want to include it in tonight's program. Well, we're not going to include it in that program or this one, but we will do it probably in the next one. I've been wanting to set up a weather satellite receiving and decoding system with an RTL-SDR dongle. But it has always been annoying to me that the only software available for decoding the image is Windows software. That has now changed. This is available via GitHub or as a binary, and it is GPLv3. From Steve, uh, he cites rtl-sdr.com, and it's a LRPT image decoder for Windows, Linux, macOS, and RPIs. So available for all of those platforms and i haven't had a chance to look at it but i definitely will and i'm sure bill will probably look at it as well uh between now and the next time we talk about this so maybe we can say something you know educational or informative or useful <laughs> about it 
Uh, but it definitely sounds interesting, and it's nice that it's being released in a cross-platform way and is GPL. So very cool. Thanks, Steve, for pointing that out. And we will definitely talk more about this in an upcoming episode. Uh, we also got an email from Dan, N5DBL, who visited with us at the Green Country Ham Fest. He said, it was a pleasure speaking with you today at the Claremore Ham Fest. I picked up a DVD and was planning on messing it with it tomorrow. I look forward to learning more about how things are going with Linux and Ham Radio. Thanks, Dan Looper and 5DBL. So, very cool. Thanks for stopping by the booth uh, when we were there back in, you know, a long time ago now. Good to meet you, and I hope that worked out for you. I haven't heard from him since, so either it's working well or he threw it in the trash. I guess, you know, maybe we'll find out. Right. He took one of our cards, so if he's listening to this, like, <laughs> maybe he'll respond in... Uh, tell us what happened. But like I said, I haven't heard from him since. So hopefully it's working well for you, uh, Dan. And uh, if it's not and you hear this, uh, send me some email. We'll see what we can do to help you out. Uh, I also got an email from Greg, Whiskey Alpha 8, Fox Juliet Kilo. He said, hi, Russ. Regarding the Og feed, what happened to episode 21? It seems to be AWOL, yet the file for episode 21 exists. The audio claims it's episode 19A, the final coverage of OSCON. I suspect a computer snafu. Ah, well, Badger happens. 7-3, Greg, W-A-8-F-J-K, which is, man, that's a tough one in Morse code. Um, (laughs) Actually, it's a tough one in English, too. Uh, But anyway, uh, I responded to to Greg about what happened with that, and I did some renumbering, and I mentioned this, oh, long, 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 long time ago, probably episode 30-something. I had the great idea that I was going to start numbering episodes like A episodes and B episodes and stuff like that, and then said, no, that's really stupid, and then just renamed them so that they're all numerically sequenced. Uh, But those, of course, included audio mentioning that they were 18A and 19A, and, of course, that remained the same even though the episode numbers actually changed. So uh, hopefully that makes some sense. All the episodes, you know, sort of exist. It's just that a couple were skipped, uh, like 18A became 19, and 19A became 21, and so on and so forth. So, But they're all there. You're not missing anything. No worries. And thanks, by the way, for going back to the beginning and listening to like everything from square one. Even I don't do that because I don't like the cringe factor. So, <laughs> but. You've been here for all of them. I have been here for kind all of them. Well, I think I might have missed one or two but um, of the early ones. But I'm pretty sure I've been here for most of them. We already talked about the feedback from Nate, so that's all we had. And then uh, we don't have any announcements except for Hamvention coming up. Our next episode, episode number 189, will actually be recorded live at Hamvention. Woohoo! So we have our booth. Um, our logo and our information is already up on the vendor list. We're all set to go. We've got all the equipment we need, and we've got a bunch of merch that is being created and we should have that to bring with us so we're definitely looking forward to him mention this year it'll be a lot of fun and like i said probably i'm not sure if we're going to do it friday or saturday probably saturday i imagine sometime um we will sit down and record episode number 189 so we'll probably get out some more specific details about that between now and then via the website so if you happen to be at hamvention and want to be a part of that because i'm sure we'll do some you know walk-up interviews or something with people who are by the table at the time we do it keep track of that and uh you can be a part of the show and there's also the generosity campaign links to it are on the web page it's url.bcts.info slash hamvention 2017 uh we are definitely still taking donations for that any little bit helps 
please share on all the social media networks, get the word out there, put a couple of bucks in the bucket, and uh, we'll see you all in, well, I was going to say Dayton, but it's actually Xenia this year. So we'll see you in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely be the same state. It'll, yes. <laughs> and actually not that far. And of course, the real Dayton Hamvention wasn't in Dayton anyway. It was in Trotwood. So, yeah, yeah. whatever. Not anywhere close to Dayton, really. Yeah. Details, <laughs> details, details, details. Right, right. Yeah, and I'm actually looking at the Hamvention website. I'm not going to be able to test. The testing is going to be in the basement of the United Methodist or United Presbyterian. So Brian told me he figured that's what was going to happen. So all right, well, let's not talk about that now. Let's move yeah, on. Well, yeah, so because we're going to have to find someplace else for me to test at. Yep, so. we'll we'll make sure it happens. Okay. All right, and besides, we have to we have to move on from boring things like amateur radio and open source to food. Yay! Yeah, so There's Cheryl's recipe corner. <laughs> All right, what do you got? Uh, tonight we're going to do chicken uh, marsala and pan-fried asparagus. So, does that sound okay? Sounds great to me. All right, good deal. Um, Russ and I are big fans of Italian-type foods, and anytime we go eat at someplace like the Cheesecake Factory or whatever, my go-to is chicken marsala. So, anyway, tonight's recipe is for chicken marsala. Uh, it's quick and easy. Uh, you need flour to bread your chicken, salt, pepper, oregano, um, and of course, chicken, butter, olive oil, some mushrooms, some marsala wine, and some cooking sherry. And mix all that together and cook it up. Of course, directions are going to be in the show notes. I'm a big fan of asparagus, so I decided to toss in a recipe for pan-fried pan asparagus, which involves butter, olive oil, salt, pepper, garlic, and asparagus. And once you're done cooking it, throw on a little tiny squirt of lemon juice and some herbs. Sounds good. Very Italian, and asparagus is always good. Tasty. You, you say that now that you've now now, like that, it. now that we've become yeah. addicted to it. Yeah, <laughs> now that he's a fan, right? Yeah. <laughs> Usually, if we go anywhere that serves asparagus, I'm I'm desperately, you know, yes, yes, I'll take that as my side. Russ always goes for potatoes, or usually. So. <laughs> well, potatoes and vegetables to me are not the same sort of thing. They're not the same class of food. So you can have them both. Well, yeah, but usually when I go have a side, it's usually like a potato and a salad or a potato and like broccoli or something like that. But You could uh, have asparagus instead of broccoli. That's true. I could, but I also really like broccoli. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, I was not a broccoli fan until Russ moved here, and he basically forced me to eat it. I didn't force you to eat it. Yeah, you're still not winning with the cauliflower. Yeah, and Brussels sprouts, (laughs) yes or no? Uh, I'm I'm more, more prone to eat Brussels sprouts than I am cauliflower currently. Okay. Well, that's that's good because Brussels sprouts are also good. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Just don't make them mushy. Oh yeah, no. No, my mother really knows how to cook Brussels sprouts. I don't know how she does it, but it they always come out amazing. Just li- like little tiny, like nice heads firm of cabbage. Heads of cabbage. Yeah. Yeah, just, <laughs> and she doesn't do anything with them. She doesn't she doesn't season them or butter them or anything like that. And they're really? just perfect. Yep. Now, if I could ever get you to eat beets, never happening. Mm. Never. <laughs> yeah, I had oven roasted beets while we were in Chicago, and I was digging that. Russ was just like, yeah. <laughs> no, anytime cannot. I see beets on a salad bar, I'm like, beets, beets, beets. <laughs> oh yeah, I love I love pickled beets. There's a Brazilian steakhouse here that has pickled beets on their salad bar, and I will get a huge plate of them. And Russ, the whole time I'm eating them, he's like, that is disgusting. <laughs> they are awesome. just cannot gross. do beets. Sorry, <laughs> I keep trying and I keep failing. <laughs> All right, well, very good. Try out some chicken marsala and pan-fried asparagus. That sounds like a good meal to me. And with that meal, you could actually pair a nice scotch, I guess. Uh, 
Sure, why not? A glass of wine would probably be better, but nah, sure. screw that. Screw that screw wine. The stuff. Scot- yeah, <laughs> screw the Scott. Yeah, screw the Scotch. No, Go with the no, wine. No, screw the Scotch. Yep. <laughs> I passed up on an announcement earlier, and it's not really an announcement. It's just that I'm going to be talking about in my whiskey corner tonight the Lagavulin 16 year old Scotch, and I got a bottle of this in the mail from one of our listeners, Jonas Rulo. I know he mentioned this in the chat room several episodes ago that he would shop at Costco and they had it really, really cheap because I was complaining about how expensive it is here. And uh, lo and behold, I, I got a package from Hawaii with a bottle of scotch in it. And tea. <laughs> and tea. That's right. Yes. It came tea. And since I don't drink tea, I gave that to Cheryl. Have you tried it yet? No, I have not tried the tea yet. We haven't been home. Well, that's true. So, <laughs> so we'll we'll get around to trying the tea, Jonas. But thank you very much for the bottle of scotch, and I'm going to actually review the scotch now. Um, it's one of my absolute favorites. Lagavulin 16 is an Isla Scotch. I'm looking at it right now in my glass, and it has a nice sort of medium to deep amber color. That's a very nice color for a scotch. And what's nice about this is it's a 16 year old scotch, which um, is relatively affordable depending on where you can find it. Um, I've seen it as cheap as about $50 for a 750 and around here it's as high as 108 So where you get it definitely determines how much you're going to pay for it. So I now have two and a half bottles of this stuff right now. <gasps> it's uh, 43% ABV. That's 86 proof, if you're doing the math. So let me nose it here. You get the ocean salt, the, you know, like the sea salt, and the, uh, a lot of times it's called brine. You get the Band-Aid. Uh, the smoke, the peat. And the nice thing about it is it's so easy on the nose. Even though it's 86 proof, you can you can hardly tell that there's alcohol in it. A very smoky, iodine salt brine. My, I'm sure my nose is not doing me a lot of justice right now, but there's um, spices like, like green spices like parsley, maybe a little um, basil, like basil bay, oregano. Yes. Not really oregano, though. Sort of the light, sweeter spices, not not really heavy stuff. There's a lot of that in there. Vanilla, sherry, maybe a little lemon zest. Yeah, this is really nice. You can definitely get it, the salty, and the, there's like you can taste the oak in it too, and the sherry from the cask. Yeah, the peat and smoke is is very. I mean, this is an Isla Scotch, so you're going to get a lot of that. It's a lot of sweet spice, almost like um, almost like fruit, like uh, candied fruit, like in uh, like in fruit cake, like figs, like fig bar type stuff, dates, the Band Aid, big time, vanilla. Who would have ever thought a selling point for Scotch would be the Band-Aid taste? Band-Aid, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's what and it smells and tastes like. Every time you say that, like. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, though, it's really good. So, And if my nose was better, I'd be able to pull more out of it. Because I know the, fir- you know the first few times I tried it, there's just so many different flavors in there. It's aged so perfectly that it's hard to pass this one up. If there's a Scotch you should have or at least try, this is definitely one of them. And I know uh, it's going to rate very highly uh, on my 100-point scale. I'm going to leave a little room in case something comes along that's better. But so far, this is the best one I've ever had. And I rate it at a 96. There's a little room for something in there to just, like, totally wow me. But uh, so far, I haven't found one better. So with that, (laughs) was that a snore? (laughs) Were you snoring? (laughs) What was going on? Where am I at? (laughs) <laughs> All right, I'm sure everybody in the chat room is like long asleep at this point. We just need to move on to our closing little segment here, which is the social media roundup. Okay. Okay. And guess what? I randomized the list again, so. 
So, on the list this week for subscriptions, we have Jonas Rulo, Robert Doherty, Michael Connolly, Michael Diallo, Kevin Murray, Bill Stearns, Robert Halliday, James Blocker, Scott Pettigrew, Dub Bretter, Alan Wilson, Ronald Ike, Bob Yerke, Wayne Carpenter, John Clark, John Fotchke, Stephen Sainer, Jeremy Hall, Donald Gover, Dylan Engel, Robert Pitts, Johnny Kinsey, Edward Donnelly, Charlie Brown, Brian Smith, Bill Piotr, Christopher Weaver, Darren King, and Paul Griffith. For Facebook, we have Robert Kaldenbach, Eric Wells, Wilson de Fonseca, guessing that's right, uh, Matthew Prey, Jan, what the whole thing is pronounced? Jan Stopwist. Oh, gotcha. <clears throat> Maybe you should have put that, sorry. I thought, sorry, I thought it was obvious. Not, no, well, okay. <laughs> Jan Stophorst, Vincent Corbo, Tentapio, or Tapio, Jacob Daniels, Rob Gasperick, and Larry Johnston. Google Plus is Steve Reed. Twitter is Brian D. Evans. Katja Ingel, or In- Inga, I'm guessing. VA3 AGV, Barra 2016, Bezelbug. Um, KCA QCH, BCBC 579, GNOME 2726, DE 0 SJA? 2E0. 2E0. Um, Winger 99, Princey B. Hardwaj 2, The Real 50 Ohm, Lynn H. Lit 88, Gareth Holmes, OK7AN, Peak Aerial TX, and 8CH Tech. For YouTube is JD East. For the mailing list is Lonnie Ayers and Nothing in Thyself. Yep, that's it. So we had quite a few because there are sort of a couple episodes. Well, there was an episode in between that we didn't record. We kind of pushed it back till now. So our list of uh, new subscribers for various things was pretty extensive. And it looks like I didn't look this up, but I'm going to look it up now just because I've got a second. The Real 50 Ohm, he, I don't know if he's a amateur radio based rapper but his twitter account says he's a rapper and an amateur radio enthusiast i don't know if he uh combines those two things (laughs) (laughs) that'd be cool but see i'm not i'm not finding anything about him on google it says qro hip-hop artist and amateur radio enthusiast might be a joke because he's got one follower and he's following one person. It's a troll. Yeah, it's a troll. <laughs> <laughs> and if he's not, you have to defend yourself. So <laughs> yes, get some more followers. Right. Or follow some more people. All right. So does, that does he have the egg icon? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a total we, fake. We see your rapper style. You got to show us, you know, swagger. Yeah, that's right. We'll play some of your music if you're a real person. <laughs> that's right. So. Well, that's that. Let's check the chat room, see if anybody's uh, saying anything, doing anything. Looks like it's been kind of dead in there, although Ted says he's thirsty after my uh, whiskey review. (laughs) So probably because it took so friggin' long. I think they're thoroughly asleep in there. I believe they are. So that, well, well, there's Don. (laughs) Don sent a smiley face. Okay. Uh, So who who left early and didn't get to hear the song? (laughs) KD5HQN left early. Right. But we had KB2YSI, and we had KC9ZMY, and we had WA0EIR in the chat room listening to us, so that's very cool. Thanks for tuning in to the 
show, the real live show. But I think with that, we're going to send episode 188 into the can. Anyway, that means I have to hit the outro button and... Oh yeah, there's music. Cool. So, you can become an LHS ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby LinuxCon or HamFest. We love feedback. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info, comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave a voicemail at one nine zero nine lhs show That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit our IRC channel, Octothorpe LHS Podcast, on Freenode, and subscribe to our mailing list. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts to wall clocks and all kinds of other stuff can be purchased at www.cafepress.com stroke LHS podcast. And a little bit of those purchases go to help support the show. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage. Listen to us live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's early Tuesday morning at 0100 Zulu in the summer and 0200 Zulu in the winter. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website, and that website is lhspodcast.info for everything you ever want to know about the show. Thank you to all of our listeners, live and quasi-live, past, present, and future, and to those who have given their time, ears, shares, and money for the show. We appreciate each and every one of you. And so that has been episode number 188 of Linux in the Ham Shack. The next one will be coming to you from Hamvention 2017 in Xenia, Ohio. And we hope to see you all there. So from Studio 3D here in Southwest Missouri, I'm Russ, K5TUX. And that's Cheryl over there. Good night, everyone. And from somewhere out in the wilds and the bluffs and the raging moose of Montana is Bill, N-E-4-R-D. <laughs> 73, everyone. And we'll catch you in a couple of weeks' time. Actually, not quite a couple of weeks' time, because it's Hamvention time. See you there. fun shooting guns in the house.